Welcome to the ninth podcast of the Merseyside Pensioners Association, recorded on the 6th of June 2020. It's not just for pensioners, but for everyone. We would like to warn listeners that this programme contains language that some people might find offensive. It's not suitable for children. Black Lives Matter! In today's programme, we have an exclusive interview with Ken Loach. Julie Nine Taylor tells us why children should stay at home. We hear the voices of young people protesting for George Floyd. And we ask, why on earth are so many Labour Party members being suspended? This is Merseyside pensioner Phil Maxwell saying thanks for joining us and stay with us because we have an exclusive and wide-ranging interview for you with the UK's greatest living filmmaker, Ken Loach. In our last programme, Merseyside MP Ian Byrne told us why he was completely behind Liverpool Mayor Joe Anderson, who says children will only go back to school when it's safe to do so and only then. Earlier, I spoke to Helen Watson, who is Head of Communications at the National Education Union, and asked her about the NEU policy regarding children returning to school and how the union was operating during the pandemic. Well, we've been trying to keep our members, I mean, obviously, we've got 450,000 members in the NEU, and we've been trying really hard to keep our members up to date with all the constantly shifting information that comes from the government. Um, And one of the things we've been doing is holding these Zoom calls and we've done them for each sort of sector of our unions. But we had an all member Zoom call, which where we had just short of 20,000 people on the call, which was great. And our general secretaries answered questions from them. I don't think it replaces, you know, the whole Zoom thing doesn't replace workplace or human interaction with people but it certainly was really good at getting our messages and our information over about what you know what people needed to know. I think one of the really important things to remember is that schools are open you know this has been really framed by the government as uh, about reopening schools well most schools are open now so special schools are open pupil referral units are open Ordinary schools are open for the care of key workers and for vulnerable children. Uh, if there are teachers and teaching assistants working from home, they're preparing online lessons for their pupils. You know, this idea that schools aren't open as we speak is a bit of a misnomer, really. This is about wider school reopening. It's the concerns of the union are that that should be done safely. It's about whether there'll be tracking and tracing and contact testing for the children when they come in. It's about how you organise classes of 15 kids, uh, whether number one, 15 children in a class is safe, you know, whether you can, you know, adhere to social distancing when there's only 15, when there's 15 kids in a class. In Britain, we have much larger primary school class sizes than other countries. You know, a lot of the other countries like Denmark, for instance, that are being trailblazed as some kind of um, example, have got much, much smaller class sizes than we do. So you've got 30 children in a primary school class. If you are going to get that year back into school and you are going to halve the number of children in each lesson, it makes sense you've got to have twice the amount of space in order to have them in you know that's basic math a lot of school buildings just don't have enough room for this to be possible um a lot of the victorian primary schools have got very narrow corridors for instance which might be not be two meters wide in themselves our head teacher members are having a massive headache trying to plan out classes so that 
children are able to maintain social distancing, whether they can do that and get out of the door, whether they, how, how they manoeuvre around classrooms, how they even sit at a desk and, you know, in chairs. Quite apart from that, all the normal paraphernalia of a classroom is going to have to, is going, is going to have to be removed. So things like wall displays and soft furnishings, you know, a lot of the things that primary school children have in their classes that make their classes wonderful places to be. Carpet time, you know, uh, story corner. It's all got to go because it doesn't fit in with the rules around having children back in school during a pandemic. So it's going to be a real headache. It requires much, much more planning for, for, for leadership members than, than has been given them. There's lots to think about. I think the main thing is teaching staff, teaching assistants, heads, teachers, they're professionals, you know, they do this every day. And the first thing, the first point of port of call for the government should have been to actually talk to teaching staff about how they could implement this, you know, to come up with plans drawn up by people who know. Because at the moment, it's just a massive headache. Teachers are really worried that they won't be able to keep children safe. And I think that that is really playing on a lot of a lot of uh, our members' minds, a lot of anxiety about the fact that they do not want to put children in a position where they contract the virus and pass it on to their families. We know that children are less likely to have extreme symptoms than adults, but children live in families. You know, children are taught by adults. They, they're part of communities. And that's why it's really important that this question is got right. So we don't see a spike in the rate of infection because that will it will negate what children have been away from school for the last six weeks doing which is to try and keep you know the number of people who contract coronavirus down and I have to say that since I've worked here I don't think I've ever met such an amazing bunch of individuals as people who work within teaching they really really care about their pupils they love their job they do a fantastic thing where they just take ideas and, you know, make them alive to kids. They open sort of avenues of experience for children that they never would have in ordinary times. You know, this idea that somehow they don't have the best interests of kids at heart and that they are somehow doing a terrible thing by asking questions around wider school reopening is awful. And I know for a lot of my teacher friends are absolutely devastated by that because they always do what is absolutely best for their pupils. This idea that the main issue for the government is vulnerable children. I mean, nobody knows more than teachers and teaching assistants, you know, staff in schools, what a massive lifeline schools are to vulnerable families. Uh, you know, we have members that have drawers full of cereal bars that they give out to children who haven't eaten breakfast. They spend their own money on resources for pens and paper and stuff like that for children who can't, whose families can't afford it. You know, they have spare PE kits. They wash kids' clothes at weekends. Our members really care about vulnerable kids. Vulnerable families have the same rights as any other family when when it's talking about the, the health and well-being of their children. I think members have to are really concerned with the fact that you know their pupils will be safe. Helen, reading some newspapers I've noticed that they characterise teachers as very self-interested and reluctant to go back to work. What do you think about that? I think people are upset by the way they're being portrayed in the press. But there's a kind of reluctant acceptance of it in the sense that I think key workers sometimes are used to being demonised. And it's a, it's, it's a real failing of our society, actually, that they don't sit and look at the people who do the most brilliant things and think, yeah, well, those people in that profession is great. Whether you work in a supermarket, whether you're a postal worker, whether you work in the NHS, whether you're teaching people's children. This should be about who you, what you value. And, you know, teaching staff are doing their best for kids. I think most parents are disgusted by front pages of the Daily Mail, making out that teachers aren't heroes or aren't 
you know, are trying to hold their kids back. Most, most parents just think that's absolute nonsense. Nonsense indeed. Helen Watson there, Head of Communications at the National Education Union. Merseyside Pensioner Association Chair Julie Lyon-Taylor is a retired teacher with many years of experience in the classroom and as an activist in the NEU. Here she is. If you look at Liverpool, we've now got the highest rate of death from this virus. And why? Well, it's a poor city. We've got a BAME community there. All the things that make people vulnerable to the virus and make some you know, suffer under the virus. It's all still there. And until you do something about that, you're never going to address the inequality. Start thinking about everyone and every worker that's engaged and involved in creating an educational environment. The, the government was saying, well, we realise it'll be hard with teenagers, but of course it'll be very easy with the primary schools, won't it? And the head teacher replying saying, Actually, it's the complete reverse. It's going to be really difficult. These children need a proper environment. And most of all, they need their parents getting enough money so they can feel secure and happy and there's food on the table. That's what we need to start off with, getting everybody fed and paid properly. And then children will flourish in schools when that happens. Teaching unions have got it wrong, says Alan Johnson who was Secretary of State for Education and Skills under Tony Blair. Really, I don't think so, Alan. Through the COVID-19 crisis, the NEU has amassed over 20,000 new members and over 2,000 new school reps. If there was a time to join a union, then it is certainly now. Although Boris Johnson claps for health workers, he has no intention of improving their terms and conditions of employment. The government has criminally failed us throughout the pandemic and tragically far too many lives have been lost because of them. They only called the lockdown and shut schools because of public and union pressure. And now they're pushing to send our children back to school before it's safe to do so. If the Tories want to experiment with our children, or well, let them open Eton first. Boris Johnson went there, so I'm sure he could ask Dominic Cummings to drive over, test his eyesight and open the school gates. Merseyside pensioners think they should observe the independent Sage Group's advice to keep schools shut. And we fully support the NEU's five tests being met before schools reopen. This government have proven time and time again that they cannot be trusted to keep us safe. Stay with us as later on we have an exclusive interview with Ken Loach as well as a rare archive recording of someone you might just recognise. Earlier you heard the voices of Abdul and Bobby who marched last Sunday from Trafalgar Square to the American Embassy and then on to Grenfell. When they got home they told me what happened. I saw, um, I saw some really uh, beautiful things today. Like all these young people really be, you know, behaving really well, contrary to what the media will yeah. probably say about protesters. They're just trying to pay their respects. And, you know, for a man that they didn't know personally, you know, but they're touched by what they saw in the video and they're touched by the injustice of it all. And they want to, um, they want to express how they feel. And it's something so reassuring to see to see that um, some of the things that we did, like because uh, the, the protest was called Neil for Floyd, George Floyd that was murdered. They were all kneeling and saying his name. A really mixed crowd, a lot of uh, black coloured people, but also white. It made me feel better about the situation than sitting at home looking at my phone and just feeling anxious. You know. It was just such a good thing to do. Yeah, and I think it's so important to protest, but I think it has to be done. You shout and you, you just let out uh, the horror that you've seen. Because you see it with lots of people, you, you know, a lot of people around you all agreeing with you, coming yeah. together. 
it, it's empowering and it's reassuring and it's um and it makes you feel hopeful for the future contrary to what the media will have to you believe about young people you know because mostly it was young people wasn't yeah, it yeah 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 it was mostly young people and they were all um, shouting slogans really putting their energy into it you know it's inspiring i want to say mostly under 30 yeah definitely. under mostly under 30. i i did but see some... I, I was saying well everyone was saying pretty much 90 percent were under 30. yeah but i would say the majority were probably 20 to 25 yeah 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 easily. yeah and i saw really young teenagers as well yeah. why not why not why why should they be uh, at home stuck exposed to violence on the news and then not be able to go through the process of saying actually this is disgusting we don't agree with this we don't want to you know we're not, we don't want this just to go slip away quietly they they've seen something shocking and they need to express how they feel about it and on saturday i watched the actual video of um george floyd being suffocated to death generally i kind of avoid like violent videos anyway like violence in anything, I I can't see it. And when I saw it, I was just dumbstruck. It was like unbelievable. Just he, the look on the the murderer's face is just like he's just he just doesn't care. I don't know what to say. The police presence in London was, um, seemed to ramp up. Yeah. As soon as um, we got to the U.S. Embassy, mm. when we arrived, when we we. We met up with the march as it entered the House of Parliament. Yeah, Parliament it's, Square. Yeah, it started at Trafalgar Square. And then we met up with it at Houses of Parliament and it walked, continued walking to the US Embassy. Yeah. And um, there, we didn't realise it was the embassy initially, and then, but yeah. there was a line of policemen uh, on the perimeter and it was a cab driver that shouted out of his window to, to us directly and said, do you know what, why they're standing there? There's a, there's a, um, they were saying, he said, do you know why they're standing here? That's the US Embassy. And then at, at a certain point, the protesters were saying, take it down, take it down. They were pointing at the flag. And also they said, uh, your president's a wanker, which is a really good one as well. Because he is a wanker. He is. He's inciting violence. You know, that's what he wants. He, can you imagine someone saying, when the um, when the loot was it the looting when, when the looting starts the shooting the starts. shooting starts I just can't believe that I can't I can't believe that people people might ask like what did uh, George Floyd do in order for him to be murdered a forged um you had to buy something with a forged twenty dollar note I mean who gives a fuck who gives a fuck if he actually managed to buy something with it. Who gives a fuck and he got away with it? It's just money. No one gives a fuck. You know? No well, they're printing it like anything else, aren't they? You know, they don't... No one fucking cares. And then the van's unloaded. Um, and these these groups of police officers kind of acted almost really quite organised, like they were like they were soldiers. Yeah. And they were really trying to get in front of the initial crowd to try and, I suppose, to control their movements. So what, what they'd do is they'd all run around the side of the protesters, run ahead, and then they'd try and form, form a line. And what they were trying to do is break up, what I presume they were trying to do is break up the protesters. And then they would say, I've got, I've got photos and stuff. They would say, you can't go through, you can't go through. And then um, other people would just try and run around. What were the slogans people were shouting? Um, justice for Floyd, um, Black Lives Matter, white silence equals um, vi white silence equals is violence. Is violence. White silence is violence. Say his name. Say say his name, George. George Floyd. Floyd. Say his name, George Floyd. Yeah. The voices of Abdul and Bobby. Merseyside pensioners are sending solidarity to the people of Minneapolis, protesting after the assassination of George Floyd by a police officer while three other police assisted. 
Understandably, the state violence inflicted on black people by the police is actively being resisted. We understand their grief, anger and trauma. People are standing up for their brothers and sisters across America. The Merseyside Pensioners Association is internationalist. We see our struggle as a shared struggle. Across America, shops are graffitied, glass litters the streets and buildings are burnt. Trump sees protesters as a problem to be dealt with by thousands of heavily armed soldiers. As tear gas and rubber bullets were used to clear a peaceful protest opposite the White House, President Donald Trump gave a speech in which he threatened to send the unlimited power of the military into US cities to counter what he termed as wanton destruction. It's part of a dramatic escalation in the Trump administration's response to mostly peaceful protests against the police assassination of George Floyd. The protesters who descended upon the streets of Los Angeles to voice their collective anger over the assassination of George Floyd were, like Los Angeles itself, a diverse crowd with diverse intentions. Stoking public fear, Fox News called the destruction following Saturday's protests violent riots. The people who became known as the looters were a fraction of those who stayed behind after the earlier protests dispersed. They are now deemed thugs and thieves by those who find it easy to dismiss their justified frustration with racial injustice and police brutality. Stoking public fear, Fox News called the destruction following Saturday's protests violent riots. The people who became known as the looters were a fraction of those who stayed behind after the earlier protests dispersed. They are now deemed thugs and thieves by those who find it easy to dismiss their justified frustration with racial injustice and police brutality. The flames Trump has fanned since taking office have sparked America's tinderbox and the fire is burning on his doorstep. Is the revolution now being televised? I think it's arguable that looting is a class issue. After all, the act of looting is a long-standing American tradition, dating back to the theft of Native American lands and African enslavement. Today, while the wealthy elite don't loot shops, they are well-versed in looting the fruits of the labour of millions of low-paid workers. They are well-versed at looting natural resources. Congratulations to all those who showed solidarity with our brothers and sisters in America, outside St George's Hall in Liverpool and in other cities throughout the UK. Rest in power, George Floyd. You can listen to all the Merseyside Pensioners podcasts by going to the Merseyside Pensioners YouTube channel. There's also some films you can watch featuring the campaigning work of the MPA. You can also hear us each week on Liverpool Community Radio FM 106.7 or online. You can find us on Spotify and iTunes. Remember, if you have something to say, then contact me by email at maxwellphotouk at yahoo.co.uk. Also, watch out for the MPA podcast Extra. It's a new series that will focus on the lives of Merseyside pensioners, heritage and culture. In the first edition coming soon, we'll be hearing from the fabulous transgender secretary of the MPA, 72-year-old Grace Oliver. Thanks for all the emails. Keep them coming. London pensioner Dr Ethne Nightingale tells me she has written her first ever letter to a Prime Minister. She writes, Dear Prime Minister, last night I walked to Hackney Downs 
groups of up to 50 people partying, young people and intergenerational groups. During the night I was kept awake by a helicopter, 300 revellers in Upper Clapton. How can police intervene when the response is, if Cummings broke the law, why can't we? You have lost your authority. The track, trace and isolate schemes, like other measures, such as PPE, is clearly not operational. Why don't you rely on public health, NHS and other bona fide experts who can work with local communities and who, if not too late, can rebuild the trust you have betrayed? I fear for this country that has the worst excess deaths in the world. I fear for my neighbours, including doctors, nurses, paramedics, some traumatised. I fear the second wave that will inevitably come unless Cummings goes and you draw on people with real experience of dealing with public health crises. I fear for my family, my paraplegic nephew, for myself over 70. We are not dispensable. Well said, Ethne, I hope you get a response from Mr Johnson, but remember, he's a divisive figure with a long record of appalling comments about women, LGBT people and black and minority ethnic communities. He is called gay men, bum boys, and compared Muslim women to letterboxes. He is the antithesis of someone like you, who devoted your entire life to working with diverse communities and promoting equal opportunities. Ethne's fears are completely justified. And now, let's go to Wavertree. That was the tranquil sound of birds in a Wavertree garden, recorded last Sunday. Stay with us, because we will be speaking to Ken Loach soon. Now, how many of you recognise this voice? Jobs and homes and schools and proper health provision and dignity in retirement and peace for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren. That is what we are demanding. And in a country absolutely riddled with unmet need, you go round with a pencil and paper round St George's Hall tomorrow morning, half a mile around where we're sitting, and make a list of the old people who need to be cared for, the roofs that need to be insulated, the homes that need to be built, the schools that need to be improved, the things that need to be done. There is no justification for throwing four million people plus on the scrap heap unless you're doing it deliberately. And that's what Thatcher's policy is about. When Tebbit said, get on your bike, he didn't mean it. He meant get on your knees because they want working people to be down there frightened of unemployment. The unmistakable voice of the late Tony Benn. I recorded him in St George's Hall, Liverpool in the early 1980s. What strikes you when reading Ben's diaries is that you often think that he could be talking about today. For example, he writes this in 1987. Let's just get the page. Unfortunately, I can't do a, a Tony Ben accent, but this is what he writes. I do find the House of Commons an extremely unpleasant place at the moment. Talking in the chamber itself is like being in a zoo where the animals bray at you. The PLP is like an icebox. They are terrified and you think you might say might lose them their seats. Being on the NEC is like being a member of the Inquisition. The Labour Party is a story of continuing tragedy. At the end of the year, despite everything that was done, to boost Kinnock against the left. The Tories had a lead of 8%. 
which is quite unheard of on the eve of an election after a party has been in government for seven years. It is a tragedy for the party, but it is no exaggeration to say that 90% of NEC time this year has been spent in trying and expelling people in Liverpool. Those words will certainly resonate with people in Wavertree, where the chair, secretary, women's officer and BAME officer have all been suspended. Ken Loach is a great friend of the Labour movement on Merseyside. I don't have the time here to outline all the reasons why he is held in such high esteem. I interviewed him earlier this week on a wide range of issues. Ken, the number of excess deaths in the UK is the highest in Europe. Pensioners across the UK have been particularly hard hit, as well as the poor and black and minority ethnic communities. What do you think of the government's response to the pandemic? I think the government has shown a kind of grotesque incompetence um, in every judgment they've made has made has been a misjudgment. They were slow to respond. They um, we were late with the the lockdown. Um, the failure to provide uh, protective equipment for medical staff and all who needed it came about because they a they can't plan. And B, they'd run down the health service so uh, comprehensively over the decade that the the um, the stocks that were there ten years ago of protective equipment were are not there now. Equipment was out of date and it had stickers over the expiry dates twice, putting new dates, and they were this equipment was still handed out for use. So that was an incompetence. Um, the uh, the failure to provide testing, the failure still to provide testing, the failure still to provide equi- protective equipment, and we're you know we we hope we're we're over the worst of this of this uh, pandemic, um, and it comes from an ideological commitment to laissez-faire, free markets, capitalism, where. The market will take place, will, 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 um, will, will provide. And of course, the, the market can't provide because if there's no profit, no one's interested. So it, it's clearly a, a, an absolute incompetent failure. And this resulted in 60,000 deaths. I mean, the, the number that they, they quote doesn't include all, the, all those who have died because the health service has been so totally preoccupied. With the uh, with the virus, uh, and um, I understand it that the, the figures show sixty thousand or more, um, which is it is extraordinary to have tolerated those deaths, and many of them are necessary because the, of the government incompetence. It's extraordinary that we've allowed this to take place. What are your thoughts when you see Boris Johnson outside Ten Downing Street clapping for health workers? Well, <laughs> I, I think uh, I mean the the, the man is um, presents a, a buffoonish character, but there's a kind of malicious, calculating streak behind that, which um, is uh, turns your stomach. To be honest, I mean we he knows we know everyone knows that the health service workers their pay was locked down for many years to solve the banking crisis, which of course they had nothing to do with creating. Their pay was frozen, their standard of living has gone down, and that's not been uh, regained. We know that care workers are particularly vulnerable because they're, we don't have a national care service. It's the care services provided by local authorities whose, whose income has been cut. It's hired out to uh, agencies who have hire people on zero-hours contracts or, or worse. They're starved of funds, and people are exploited in, in, a, in an extraordinarily harsh way. People are now seen as essential workers, like drivers or, or people who work in retail. The drivers are on a lot of them on bogus self-employment, um, where they carry the responsibility for their vans, for their anything that happens on the road for the parcels and work long hours for a, what is 
a basic wage in many cases, massively exploited. And, and again, their exploitation is barely discussed. Um, a programme, and, and this is a criticism of, of the new leadership in the Labour Party, where is the demand for full uh, trade union rights for the drivers, for the care workers? Where's the demand for a national care service that takes it, that, that um, makes it part of the health service? Where's the demand for the health service itself to, to end its privatisation and be restored to its founding principles where everyone employed is employed directly? Everyone has full trade union rights. Everyone has job security. I'm not hearing those demands. Well, there is some activity in the Labour Party, Ken, because up and down the country, people are having their membership of the party suspended. Well, this is another worrying story. I think the principle should be that every disciplinary procedure is open, is transparent, that the uh, allegations uh, is is explained that the evidence is is there for all to see that it's interrogated and that there is a judicial panel or whatever it is has a strong legal base with authoritative uh, legal experience where the judgment is explained for all to, all members to see for for everyone to see there's a right of appeal and only after that has gone through and everyone in the party can see that the, the person is either um, responsible for, for, for what has, uh, has happened or is guilty or is not guilty. But that has to be transparent, has to be open, and we don't want any of these secret courts. You know, there's no room for a star chamber approach in the Labour Party. If it's a democratic party, its disciplinary procedures must be open, transparent and beyond reproach. As you know, Ken, there is now an 851-page report that has appalled and devastated people outlining racist abuse and misogyny by Labour Party staff against Labour Party members and MPs. Alleged perpetrators are still working for the party. What do you think about that? I think it's a very worrying trend. I, I think if... if those people had been working in any uh, ordinary company, they'd have gone. They'd be gone. The language they used, the, uh, as you say, the misogyny, really disgusting. Disgusting. I mean, I mean, we, we, we are, there are many different um, opinions within the Labour Party. I haven't heard anyone that I know, and I guess I'm on the left, I haven't heard anyone use the language that those people used even in the times when the, the disputes have been very bitter. That's not the language we use. And I, I find them utterly contemptible. I cannot think why they are in the Labour Party. They're, never mind in a job, but they should be expelled. For, for, on the evidence of, the, if, of that report, if that is substantiated and that report is proud to be true, they should not be in the party. But of course it also reveals a determination to destroy Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. And that's, that's a, a political issue which, again, has got to be accounted for. Who were those people who supported them? Uh, who were those MPs uh, that they were close to? The then deputy leader seems to be, have been implicated in being prepared to take over after if we'd done badly in by-elections, I understand. It, it, it's intolerable. And I cannot, I cannot understand why Keir Starmer and those uh, alongside him are not are, are tolerating this. I mean, they must, the current leadership must know the disgust there is amongst ordinary members that these people are still there. I mean, I think some of us think very hard, you know, is this a party we want to be with? If this is the, this is the um, principles on which the leadership is based. But then again, it's, it's a party that, that's, that belongs, belongs to its members, it belongs to the people. There's a great historic job to be done now in the wake of this virus, in the wake of, of the increased exploitation of working class people in the, in the face of the regions that are being left um, with nothing, still with nothing. And the idea that it will revert back to the bad old compromise days of Blair and the leaderships that preceded him would cause great despair. 
So I think it, it's our party. It has to be principled. It has to be decent, open and democratic. MPs have to be accountable to their members. Officials have to be accountable to their members. The disciplinary procedures have to be absolutely transparent and in accordance with natural justice, not some stitch up behind closed doors, which is what people fear. So it's a big task for the leadership and let's hope they match up to it. Do you need to get the door, Ken? <laughs> that, was a, that was a knock of fate. <laughs> <laughs> that was Ludwig van Beethoven saying, come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I hope it's not Keir Starmer at the door. <laughs> yeah, I hope it is. <laughs> I have a few words. Finally, Ken, do you have any films in the pipeline that you're working on at the moment? Um, no, we're just waiting to get through this. I mean, I'm trapped in under house arrest at the minute, so I, I don't. Um, I, I don't know. Paul and I are talking about things all the time, but we'll we'll wait and see. See what state the old bugger's in when he, when he finally let out of his house. <laughs> I can confirm that it wasn't Keir Starmer knocking at Ken's door. Credit, though, where it's due. The other day, Sir Keir tweeted, quote, George Floyd must not become just another name. His shocking death should be the catalyst for change. To build a better society, we must stand together against racism and injustice. Well, we all agree with that, but it would be good to have some very public solidarity with Black Labour Party members who suffered well-documented racist and sexist abuse outlined in the leaked report. You can't pick and choose when it comes to challenging racism. Earlier, I warned listeners that this programme contains language that some people might find offensive. And here's why. The documented abuse in the leaked report describes Diane Abbott, who is, of course, of Caribbean heritage, as, quote, an angry woman, quote, truly repulsive, quote, literally makes me sick. I remember Clive Lewis speaking at Wavertree CLP about the world facing catastrophic climate change and the need for a new green economy. Clive was born to a white English mother but brought up by his Grenadian father on a council estate in Northampton. He is described by a regional organiser as, quote, the biggest cunt of the lot. A very senior staff member who later appeared as a whistleblower on the infamous panorama hatchet job on Jeremy Corbyn in July 2019, wholeheartedly agreed with this description of Lewis. I could go on, but I won't, because this stuff is really upsetting. Particularly upsetting if you know the four people whose names were leaked to the press and are now being accused of anti-Semitism. A report on the matter by the Jewish Chronicle, not known for its journalistic integrity, claims that the four, quote, had criticised their own MP as she tried to reach out to the local Jewish community, end of quote, and quotes a Labour Party spokesperson on the matter, saying that the party treats, quote, all complaints of anti-Semitism extremely seriously. Now, I've read the statement by the Wavy Tree 4, which was published internally in a bulletin established in March to keep members in touch during the pandemic. It was polite, it praised Paula Barker MP, it was intelligent, but also critical of an article she wrote in a newspaper. Now, after I read Paula's article, I realised I would sign that statement. And then I pinched myself and thought, am I guilty of a Labour thought crime? At a time when we have a pernicious, anti-democratic, lying Tory government who are closing down free speech and killing our vulnerable communities, we need elected representatives who champion democracy and free speech. 
if politicians who once presented themselves as Jeremy Corbyn supporters feel the need to move on and signal to Keir Starmer that they are now in his team, well, they can do that. But please argue the politics. Don't do it by trampling on the reputations of good, honest people. Lifelong socialists under the cover of the lockdown. I've known the Wavertree Four for years, and if they are anti-Semites, then my name is Boris Johnson. Incidentally, I got an email from the newly installed unelected secretary of Wavertree CLP yesterday, announcing his new authority and saying, quote, The BAME position, unfortunately, remains vacant. Just, I suppose, as unfortunate that the racism identified in the leaked report has not been addressed. You can sign a petition in support of the Wavertree 4 by going to the Merseyside Pensioners Association Facebook page or go to the link on this podcast on the MPA YouTube channel. Thanks for your company today. I hope you've enjoyed the programme. Remember, you're not on your own. We are stronger together because we understand the meaning of solidarity. Until next time, stay safe. And I leave you with some soothing music from Johann Sebastian Bach. But first, we have our musician in residence, Merseyside pensioner Phil Newton. OK, here we go. A bit um, more of a cheery tune from 70s television days. Pot Black.